Okay. There you go. Okay. We're good. All right. Okay. So um, let me tell you just a little bit about my background. Okay. Um, education and some of the populations I've worked with and stuff. And then I also kind of wanted to know from you guys, like, what were you hoping to hear today? Usually when I go to something like this, I'm always like, oh, I hope they talk about this or I hope this person will cover this. And so I wanted to know if there was anything like that that you guys had in mind. There, there may not be. That's okay. <laughs> but there might be something. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about um, background for me. Um, I, I grew up here in Nashville, went to Lipscomb, did my undergraduate stuff in psychology, and then I went to NTSU up in Murfreesboro to do my graduate work. And that was in clinical psychology. Um, and when I was there, my emphasis was on children and adolescents and families. Those were the groups that I knew that I was going to be working with the most, and so that was kind of where I put my focus of attention. Um, hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> um, and before this, I was working, all through graduate school, I had started working with um, children on the autism spectrum, doing what's called applied behavioral analysis, which is a very specific kind of treatment that you do with these kids. It's in-home therapy, um, and also was working as a school aide. So that gave me a good mix of seeing kind of what doing, oh, I'm not talking loud enough. I can't hear, I have snot in my ears, I'm quite certain, so <laughs> I can't hear, it's good, sorry. Um, so, um, yeah, so um, gave me a good perspective of being in, in a home setting, kind of doing therapy and what all the needs were there as far as like just developmental life skills in the home, but then also a really good perspective of what life was like in the school for special needs kids. That was invaluable for me. That was a long time getting to go to IEP meetings, and which is meetings you know when you're developing an education plan for kids. It was great, um, very good stuff working with teachers, getting their perspective, and so that kind of, I think, helped build some of my earliest skills. And then um, did finished graduate school. I got my license, which is a weird license sounding, um, it's called a psychological examiner, but basically what that means is through the state of Tennessee is I can do counseling and testing both. Um, that's a little bit weird, and I'm a total testing geek. I love the testing part, I'm doing like, and that includes, let's say, testing. Okay, so that could be things like testing for learning disabilities, testing for psychological issues, like um, anxiety or ADHD or depression, all the mental health disorders. Um, and my license lets me do both, and so that is what I have been doing since I got licensed, is counseling with little ones starting at the age of four, all the way up to big ones, adults and families. Um, and testing as well. Um, and let's see, I was at Agape for a little over 11 years, I believe, and then went just recently, a little over a year ago, went into private practice, which has been a whole other ballgame. I feel like I had to go back to school for business on that. That was interesting and not my favorite part <laughs> of anything that I've done. But um, so, Yes, so now um, <clears throat> I'm doing private practice and I see, same thing, little ones, um, I see a lot of teenagers. I work a whole lot with adolescents um, and also with families. Um, and I'll get a little bit more into that. I'll tell you some more about kind of what I'm seeing come through my office and I wanted to talk to you guys too about some of the things that are a little bit different, I think, for um, kiddos today than maybe what some just some changes, some new challenges, I think, that people have when you work with kids, raising kids, our kid, you know, <laughs> it's just completely different. Um, but let me, let me stop and just say, what were some things that you guys were hoping to hear? Was there anything? I mean, there may not be anything, but was, was there anything anybody was hoping? Yes? Um, I have a question. I have a 17-year-old, and I, I wonder sometimes how could you tell the difference between normal teenagers being teenagers and, okay, we need 
Okay. <laughs> Normal versus you just lost it kind of thing. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Good question. All right. What was there anything else anybody was kind of hoping for me to spend some time? That's a good one. It is. Teenagers, y'all. Yeah. Teenagers are. Uh -huh. and, and at any given day, who knows what you're going to get. I mean, it's really, yeah, any day it, it might be different. So, okay. What, anything else anybody was hoping I would talk about? So what are some things that parents often don't realize until they start working with you? Just some, I, I know there are a variety of things. But, um, okay. Okay. Yes, that's all. Yes. Do you have to let go of that and let them come to that on their own? Okay. Hi. Hello. Hi. Okay. These are good questions. And there'll probably be more, which you are more than welcome to ask, okay? Because I would rather want to talk about the things that you guys want me to talk about rather than what I'm thinking maybe somebody wants to hear. So, um, okay. So, Okay, one of the things that um, it astounds me, I think that as far as our own personal development, as a person, as an individual, we can do a lot on our own. You get married or into a you know, significant relationship and then there's this whole other world that opens up the challenges of <laughs> you get to be a better you and all the things about us that come out about us that I see some people smiling and laughing there like, yes, you know what I'm talking about, marriage. It refines us, you know. I think parenthood takes it up that next level where once you start having kids and, and being around kids, it's like all these things come out and it really, really challenges you to be a better person and your stuff tends to come out a lot. And a lot of times it gets reflected, you know, on the kiddos. Not always, but sometimes. Um, and so, um, I, to me, I, I feel so honored that I have the families come in doing what they are willing to do and work with me because it is, it's, it's really intense and it's really painful sometimes and it's really hard to be like, I know I messed up here and I know that I did this and that probably didn't help things very much. Um, and so just full credit to anybody to, to me that, that is in the parent role and for all the challenges that come with that because it is different today than it ever has been before. And I think about the when when do you seek out counseling, you know, for your kiddos and kind of what's normal stuff. Let me let me talk about that. Um, I think everything falls on a spectrum. Okay, like let's say take sadness. Okay, we we all of us experience sadness. That is a common experience. Every everybody has. On the low end of the spectrum, you have you know just occasional periods of sadness or melancholy and then you kind of go up the spectrum all the way to the other extreme where you have people who are dealing with major 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 depressive episodes and um, I think almost anything that you look at whether it be anxiety attention problems you just go down the list of things that you see happening with kiddos and, and adults too most of it falls on a spectrum and, and most of us are somewhere in the middle of it you know we're not one extreme or the other and to me, one of the ways that I, I look at, I kind of tell people to be alert, kind of a red flag that says maybe it's time to seek out some counseling is when you see something moving towards one extreme outside of what is typical, and that might be compared to peers or um, 
your own experience and it might be sometimes too that your kiddos are saying things you know that they're actually verbalizing some of their struggles and some of the things that they're needing and that can give you some heads up too that it's time maybe to seek out um, some counseling as far as the age I don't know that I would say that there's just a set age um, because even little ones it's different you know a four-year-old what I'm gonna do with a four-year-old is really different than what I'm gonna do with a 14 year old um, but it's each is tailored for the developmental needs of the kiddos. That's part of what I do when I have a new one come in to my office. I'm doing a really big assessment to figure out, okay, what are the needs and where is this person developmentally? I have some 10-year-olds who want to just play, 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 and I have other 10-year-olds who want to sit down across their legs and talk to me on the chair just like I was talking to an adult. And, you know, it's, it just differs based on the kid. Um, and so I think any age is it's appropriate and to me I guess I kind of look at it too you know how we do wellness visits yearly kind of wellness visits and I think hopefully that we're moving a little bit more that way with mental health too that it's not something that it's only you have to be crazy you know but it's a part of our wellness that we go and we kind of talk about some of these things dig a little bit deeper into some things because it makes us a little bit more healthy um, a little bit more that person that we kind of want to be um, and so I think for kiddos especially, I mean, this is my, again, my kind of personal opinion, but for kiddos especially, it's neat to kind of go ahead and instill that because I know that they're going to need it later. Um, just the world, it's not getting any easier, I don't think, to deal with um, as a whole. And so to help where you can set them up to know that, hey, this is okay. This is just like if you had a toothache, you'd go to the dentist or if you had you know, a tummy ache, you'd go to the doctor. You also, if you're dealing with some heavy emotional stuff, you can go or, you know, behavioral stuff maybe, <laughs> but you can go and you can talk to somebody and it's a really good experience and it helps you get better, you know, makes things better or more healthy, I guess is a little bit better way of saying that. Does that help at all? A little bit. A little? She's, my oldest is just at an age where she's going to do what she wants to do. Yeah. And I don't feel like I can make her do it anymore. She's going to have to decide when she's ready, so that was kind of a little bit. Being a young adult, maybe into young adulthood, you have to let them decide yeah. when they'll accept it. Yeah, their little personalities start getting much, much more stronger, you know, as they as they get older to where they do. They have their own mind, they have their own opinions, and I think that's one of the challenges I see a lot of parents having is, is how do I honor that, but yet how do I still keep a parent role in this person's life? They're telling me they have all their own needs, they, they've got their own mind, they've got their own political values, so <laughs> you just go down the list. But yet still, how do you, how do you be a parent? And that, to me, is one of the developmental challenges that parents have. You know, kids go through all these developmental stages. We know a lot about that. Parents have them, too, though. Um, how do you become more of a consultant rather than the authoritarian, you know, person in their life? Um, and especially when you've got someone, and, and I think it happens differently for different kids. Like, some kids need more kind of parent-type influence, you know, a little bit later because of just different their growth and, and maturity and then you've got other ones who you know by the age of 13 they are just strong-willed and they have their and just really refuse to accept parenting and it's kind of like I wrote a little earlier than what I thought it was going to be you know so what do I do with that um it is a challenge I mean it, it very it very much is um and you're right to say that you have to recognize at some point you can't make them you can invite them into doing things and then you can 
you can offer even incentives. <laughs> you know, like this is something that I think would be healthy for you. And so, you know, not it's a lot of times parents are like, that's like a bribe. You know, if you say, you know, that you get to keep your car keys if you, <laughs> or you get to do this really fun thing if you go do this, like go to counseling. Um, and I don't think it's a bribe because you're not asking them to do something that's immoral, okay, or outside of their moral code. But I, I get that a lot from parents, like, well, they're just supposed to do chores. Yes, they're supposed to do chores, but then it's like, I'm not going to pay them to do what they're supposed to do. And it's like, then good luck with getting <laughs> certain things done because all of us work on reinforcement schedules. And so it's a reinforcer versus a bribe. But anyway, I'll get into all that. That's, I'm getting off on a rabbit. Um, so that is hard. Yeah. Okay. Is that okay? Um, and talking about your question about teenagers, <laughs> um, one of the things that happens with, as talking about just development as it goes along, is the brain develops, changes a lot. Um, somewhere around, and a lot of times it coincides with pubescence, um, but somewhere around that age, type 10 to 12, the brain starts doing a whole bunch of reconfiguring. Um, so much so that from the age of, let's say, 13 to 19, there's roughly as many changes happening in the brain as what happened when the brain grew the first time, okay? Everything's getting rewired. Everything's getting reconfigured. And one of the important things that happens is the frontal lobe, this guy, this frontal section of our brain, which is um, responsible for things like moral reasoning, cause and effect, um, if I do this, then this is gonna happen, pretty much goes offline. It just kind of shuts down, <laughs> right? It occasionally bleeps back on for a little bit, but it kind of just goes away for, for the most part. And so what you see happening with teenagers a lot of times is there's all these other parts of their brains that are lighting up like Christmas trees, and so you see them being like really defensive about things, you know, like they're, everything that you say is an offense somehow, like, what do you mean by that? And it's like, I just asked if you wanted spaghetti or pizza for dinner. I didn't mean anything by that, you know, but so you can see that happening sometimes. But then you also see these moments of brilliance, and you get this like glimpse of who they're gonna be, you know, as this, you know, 30 year old adult, and it's really awesome, and you can have these great conversations, and it's this mix, but all of that is because of what's happening in the brain. There's a lot of rewiring that's happening. And so that's another piece of what I work with a lot with my families is helping them understand where their child is in that process of development because it's very, 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 very real. Um, and it, it can make a really big difference if you understand what's going on because then you can change how you respond to what's going on. Um, if you've got your kiddo and you know that they're lighting up, let's say, in their amygdala and they're angry and defensive, then that's not really necessarily the time to have a really meaningful, important conversation about something that you really want to get in to their system. You kind of wait. <laughs> you choose a different time. And, and you probably are going to avoid, you know, a throwdown fight and arguments and things like that. And so understanding that is really important. And I, I work a lot with um, families on navigating that because that can be a challenge. Um, there's a guy, his name um, is Greg Luster, and he does, he's hysterical, he's a comedian, he's a, he, he, I mean, he's not, he's a therapist, but he, he's like a comedian, he's hysterical, <laughs> and he does this thing called the teenage brain, and he's talking, and he gives the example of parents who are going up into their room, their kid's room, and they were putting up, I think they were just putting up laundry, it wasn't, they weren't doing a search or anything like that, found a bag of marijuana, came down, set it on the table, waited for their kid to get home, he gets home, and they're like, look what we found. And he, his reaction was, you went through my room? I can't trust you. you, you and they're going, 
<laughs> marijuana. And, they're, and he's just going off about how they're untrustworthy and they don't respect his privacy. And I mean, it's just, and you just, it's mind boggling. But that is, again, that's because where his brain was and how his brain is changing, it's just lighting up completely different than, um, you know, most of us would see the marijuana and be like, oops, and <laughs> focus on that and, and not the other. But um, yeah, so teenagers are, are a challenge. Um, in that regard, it's just that there, there, there's so much that's moving and happening for them internally, and then and that's not even to mention the external world, you know, that they're dealing with right now. Um, and that, to me, has been the other greatest challenge um, as far as what I do, what comes into my office, is just how kids, and, and I mean, this is early elementary, um, all the way up through um, high school, and in the college as well, just the environment is there. There's so much there that can be so harmful, and so overwhelming, and so difficult to deal with and cope with. Um, and so that 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 comes in a lot as well. And I'm talking like things like media, you know, the social media, um, all the technology challenges that are there right now. Um, sexuality is very different. Sexual development is very very different for our kids and our teenagers than I think it ever has been. Um, it's, there's a lot of different stuff coming in. Um, it's, you're a little bit weird if you just claim to be a regular heterosexual person. Um, you know, if you don't have a bi something or a pan something or a non something like non-gender asexual panromantic. I mean, I, the, 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 it's unbelievable to me all the, um, all the new titles, I'm all, all, always hearing um, new things coming in, all these little kind of spin-offs of regular sexuality. And so if you don't have some attachment or some affinity for, some understanding of those things, then you're kind of weird. Um, so just to say I'm a regular heterosexual person, like, you know, opposite sex dating, it's... it's that, there, there you go. There you go. See, it's another... It's, 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 there's lots of words out there. Yeah, it's... That's different, and um, that's really different, and that, that's a whole big challenge, um, especially when kiddos are in the throes of trying to figure that stuff out anyway on their own, and then this huge weight of outside influence coming in. Uh, <clears throat> oh, another thing along with that, and I'm sure probably this is some of the stuff you guys are covering at different times, but like, it's, it's statistics say roughly by the age of 10, a lot of kids are exposed to their first pornographic images, and this includes girls. It's not just guys, you know, so it's like, it's a lot. That's a lot for a 10-year-old brain to process, you know, um, and especially depending on the content of what is seen, and then you gotta kinda get in there and unscramble that. So a lot of times parents are being forced to have conversations way earlier than they ever intended um, because it's out there and they're learning about it and it's getting earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier in the elementary school years. And so that's another thing you have to work with parents about because they don't want to have those conversations about some of these things, but yet their child already has like half a vocabulary that you hear on the street and it's like, whoa, you know that word. <laughs> and they, 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 they know the words, but they don't really know what they mean. And, and, and so working with parents on that is, that's just different. Um, and it's happened earlier and it's a bit more intense um, what goes on. Um, I work a lot with, um, especially to communication between parents and kids. Um, it's just, it's hard um, because it's, um, it's, it's kind of what you're talking about too, it's just like the parent role. When, when do I have on my mom or my dad hat? 
versus when do I have on my friend hat and how do I listen, how do I keep communication open versus shutting my kiddos down. Um, there's some things you can do real quickly to shut them down, but again, because they're kind of in defensive mode and they're, they're waiting on you to not understand or not get it. So anytime that you say something like, oh, well, you shouldn't feel that way, don't say that. That just that's just that's an automatic shutdown. That just that that turns them off, and they're like, "Oh well, I'm not going to talk to my mom or dad anymore about that." Um, things like they're trying to tell you a story of something happens, and you use that as a moment to say, um, "Well, you shouldn't have done that because that's wrong, and this is that, and the other." And it's like I was trying to tell you what happened about my day. That's going to shut them down. I mean, there's a lot. It's a lot. They're tricky like that. It's kind of like navigating a minefield sometimes about like how do I communicate and keep them keep those pathways open um, for communication. And so I work a lot with families on, on those kinds of things too. Um, let's see. Yes. Um, it won't surprise you to know that I've listened to this Greg Lester. <laughs> it's so funny. But one of the biggest takeaways for me was him saying that teenagers do not, are not necessarily going to progress linearly. In fact, the way, by that I mean, are going to, what they are now, mean what they're going to be like you can't even keep your room clean how do you think you're going to survive not right related yeah you can't do your money now and so i have to remind myself and even my husband (laughs) doesn't mean they're always going to be this way right but you know you can't tell a teenager that right you're not always going to be this way right well, and it's hard to get parents to believe that, too. Well, it is. Yeah, I mean, um, and... You have to think about yourself. What was I like as a teenager versus what I'm like now? Absolutely, yes. It's not even what I was like before college or after college, or at 18, 20, whether you went to college or not. Yeah. What you were like when you finished high school versus what you were like at 25. Right. And that, that's, that's, and a lot of that is because our brain continues to develop. It taps out about 30. By about 30, you've got the brain you got. Um, and um, so, yes, we continue to, 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 not to say you can't change or grow, I don't mean that. <laughs> that just sounded like, you're cursed, <laughs> you're stuck, I don't mean that. <laughs> Sorry, like, that's good. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it does continue to grow, and so yes, who you are, especially those years, I mean, it's from year to year, you can be this completely different person, and so much about adolescence in those years, and it starts now, I'm going to go back even to middle school, is about identity development, and these kiddos, they're trying on different hats, am I this, am I that, am I this or am that, do I believe this, do I believe that, and a lot of that is definitely peer-attached stuff, you know, they're exploring all of that through their peers and their peer groups. Um, but that continues to grow on. I mean, uh, yes, most of us, I think, probably when we were freshmen in college, we're not the same as when we graduated and got our first job. We're kind of different people. And, and that development, our personal development, continues and continues on up, you know. Um, and you, uh, yeah, don't stop at 30, you keep going. But and brain-wise, your brain's kind of done. It's like, can chill out now. Um, yeah, so, yes. I was wondering if you could talk some, a little bit about how you work with children in session. Yeah. What that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. What I do. Yeah, that's a good question. Okay. Maybe some techniques. Okay. Um, so, again, it depends on the developmental needs of my kids and the age of my kids. But, um, like, my youngest ones, what I do is play therapy, which sounds kind of funny. You just come in and we play. Um, but play for those guys, for, for younger kids, that's their language. That, and, and if you ever notice, they act everything out through their play. 
They act out family dynamics. They act out peer dynamics. They act out, I want to be a superstar and I'm going to, you know, they, it's all pretend and imaginary and everything comes out through their play. That's just their main way of communication. So that's what we use for those little guys. Um, so I have a playroom. I've got like a really cool sand tray. It's got moon sand. It's the cool stuff. Ever my adults love it too. But um, I've got all kinds of figurines and puppets and games and dress up and all kinds of things like that. And a lot of times I let it be child directed, where the child's kind of the one in charge. The child's going to pick what they. I don't have to tell them go go do puppets and pretend that you're having an argument with your friend to work out this. They just they naturally go there. They naturally do that. And if you create an environment that they know that they can do that stuff. They go, it's, they just, they take over and they go and it's really cool. And if you get out of their way, they do okay. <laughs> and so a lot of time it's very non-directed like that for me. And then other times it's where I maybe am saying, oh, you know, like if I have a kiddo that's dealing a lot with worry, we may play some games that have to do with worry and anxiety and some things like teaching relaxation techniques or some coping skills or how to argue with worry in your brain to where worry is not so loud and turn down the volume. We use a lot of different things like that that are, um, Basically, I'm kind of leading the way a little bit more, but it's still play-generated stuff. Um, the sand tray um, is really a neat thing um, that I use. It's you, Basically, it's because it's a miniature world, if you imagine that. A miniature world that I can make and do whatever I need to do in this little miniature contained world. And I have tons of figurines that range from things like little people to um, sort, I mean, you just name it, there's all kinds of stuff, you know, that so that people can create whatever they need to create in there. And you see a lot of themes a lot of times with kids, like hiding things and finding things, um, burying things and unburying things. It's just like, there's a lot of things that come out because these are all, for whatever reason, it's just stuff that they're working out through that sand tray. So I use that a lot. And I also use it with my teenagers and my adults sometimes. Because as an adult, like if I were to sit down and say, okay, I want you to, in the sand tray, create something of what you would like life to be, and you can pick and manipulate and do whatever, you can say a lot through that. It's hard to say through words, you know, and so it's really a cool way of expressing and getting some stuff out that maybe otherwise it would be really, 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 really difficult to get out, which is if you were using your vocabulary. Um, so um, a lot of... When, as they get older and a lot of kids, they don't, they don't want to be treated like kids and so they don't want to be in my playroom. They want to come sit down on my couch. Um, and I do have a couch and they can lay down if they want to. <laughs> it's optional laying down part. <coughs> you always see that on TV. So. <coughs> Excuse me. So sorry. Um, and so in that, a lot of times what we're doing is we're exploring things like um, coping skills, how to deal with emotions, I deal with things like anger, you know, that comes up a lot. Social skills, I'm working a lot with kiddos. I work with kids on the autism spectrum with anxiety, depression, abused children, children who are dealing with grief. I mean, I, I kind of run the gamut, ADHD, learning disability. So I have a very large range of things that come into my office needing to be worked on. Um, something that um, I have found to be, also do a lot of trauma work now, which is more than I ever have before. and. Um, there's a type of therapy, therapy called EMDR that is um, specifically designed to work with trauma and I recently, like a couple, I guess a year or two ago, I got trained on it and I'm actually using that a lot with my kiddos which has been really, really helpful. And basically what it does is it just uses, where basically you stimulate both sides of your brain um, and 
while focusing on past trauma or past memories and by doing that, which sounds hokey and very, very funny, but by doing that somehow it basically unlocks things and it lets you kind of really process through the pain and the past and make connections that otherwise it would be really difficult to, to make connections on. So um, that's been a really neat thing that over the past couple of years I've inserted into my kind of toolbox. Um, and that's been a good one too. Um, I'll do a lot of um, working with people on their view of the world. Most of us are pretty rational and pretty logical in our thinking most of the time. Um, but then we have our other periods of time where we're not the most logical and rational and reasonable of all people and our thinking can get very twisted and distorted. Um, and so I'll give you an example. Like um, I'll have a day where like 99 good things happen in my day and one bad thing happens. And I go home and you can guess what I think about the one bad thing for like hours. <laughs> I'm really good at thinking about that for hours. And what ends up happening is I feel like crap because I've distorted my whole entire day. Even though there were the 99 good things that happened, they don't get the attention. Well, that's, that's not reality. Reality would be if I thought about my whole day and every single piece of it and I would feel quite different about it, you know, and that's just one example. But um, I work a lot with people on getting in there and untangling that, the messi messiness in our thinking sometimes, you know, and, and, and getting to where it's a more rational, healthy way of kind of looking at the world and looking at ourselves. Um, a lot of self-esteem stuff, a lot of self-worth and, and identity stuff for kiddos. Um, and my teenagers, that's a big piece too, of stuff that we do a lot of focus on. Um, it's so difficult to have any sense of self-worth in today's society because you're so just like overwhelmed with all the things that tell you why you're not pretty enough or you're not handsome enough or you're not strong enough or you're not athletic enough. Or, I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming. And so it's really, really difficult for these kids to have a sense of who they are. Um, and to feel good about who they are. And so do a lot of stuff with that as well. Uh, bless you. <laughs> um, yeah, so what, yes? Yeah. So parents might be wondering if they were bringing their child to therapy, what their role would be. Can you talk a little bit about the confidentiality, what you share with parents, what you don't? Yes, um, and that's a good question. Um, Confidentiality, that one's, that's a tricky thing with parents sometimes. And, and I can just tell you what I do, and I'm not speaking for everybody, okay? So I'll just I'll tell you for me. What I've learned is that um, if kids think that everything they tell me in session, I'm telling their parents, they're going to talk about the weather, okay? <laughs> they're going to say, really? They're not talking about anything that matters that they think. And so, um, and I go over this with parents and kids both in the very, very, very beginning of our work together that the specifics of what gets said in session are going to stay in session. Um, I have to find a um, way to bridge that to give parents the information that they need to be effective parents, and I do that, but it's going to be in very general terms. It's not going to be the specifics of, you know, I'm not going to quote their kids unless they're kids. Some, and occasionally I'll have kids like, will you please tell my mom that? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And in those moments, I've got the, you know, like, I've got the freedom to do that, and, and, I, and I can. But more often than not, the specifics I, I keep private. And then the bigger themes and, and the more general things are the things that I'm translating to parents. Like, today we talked a lot about anger things. He's going to be trying this. 
um, I want you to try this. And sometimes the role with parents is really active. Sometimes it's really, 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 really active. And sometimes it's not. I mean, it just depends on the issue. But um, a lot of times I am giving parents some things, like some maybe some language that I want them to use. Like one of the things, um, especially when it comes to behavioral stuff, um, there's um, a really great prominent dude in this field, um, Gary Landreth, and he, he uses this stuff. It's called choice language. Um, so like, if you choose to keep watching TV instead of coming to dinner, then that means you're not going to have TV for tomorrow. If you choose to turn off the TV and come to dinner now, that means you can actually watch TV tomorrow. And so like teaching parents how to say, instead of, turn off the TV, I'm going to ground you for like eight years, and you know how it goes, it can really quickly blow up and get kind of, so working with just the verbiage a lot of times and language and, and different techniques and setting up behavior plans and like reinforcement stuff. Like I do a lot of that stuff with parents about how to handle like, um, for example, de-escalation is a big thing. Like, sometimes we can escalate an issue and we don't realize it. Like, if, let's say, as a parent, you're trying to set a limit and you get the argument, well, I don't care. Okay, just let it go. You know, just like the whole, if the, the response is, well, I don't care. But a lot of times what ends up happening is, well, you should care because I care. And then, it, and then it gets into this big argument. Now we're into this really big fight. And so working with parents to help them understand, okay, how do I set limits? in a way that doesn't escalate issues or arguments or fights. And um, and sometimes helping parents to kind of re-see uh, re or I guess reconfigure how they conceptualize control and power and authority. Um, because it's, it's not always like we think it maybe is, is gonna be. Um, and that can be hard too. So I, I, do, I, I do a lot of work um, with my parents. Occasionally, I will say this, that I have some parents who are really unhealthy that come in. And so I, on those cases, I do tend to work a lot more just with the child and helping them figure out how to cope with, um, and I might make some recommendations for the parents. I would say, you know, I think that you need to maybe see your own person and do some work. I try not to overlap in those cases with that stuff. Um, but I would just do more work with the, the, the kiddo in those situations because the parent, they're not in a place necessarily where they can be a healthier, you know, contributor to the work we're doing. Yeah. Can you give an example of conceptualized authority? About what I was talking about with the authority stuff. Adult, conceptualized authority with adult. What does that mean? Okay. Um, food. I mean, I'm just thinking of food. That's a, that's a good example that comes up. Um, Sometimes there's a lot of arguments about food. You're going to eat this, and you're going to eat that, and you're going to eat this, and you're going to eat it now, and you're not going to eat it now. And um, so for a lot of parents, they, they, they can get stuck on a, a little something, say, seemingly little, like a food kind of thing. And all of this energy and all of this time and attention and argument and is getting put into this thing. And so in that case for me, it would be helping the parent see something like, okay, what are the elements of food consumption can you control? You can control what you buy at the grocery store, you can control what you cook, you can control when you cook it and when it's on the table, whether or not that kiddo is gonna actually put it in their mouth and chew it up and swallow it. You can't do that for them. You can't like, you know, get <laughs> them do that. And so um, that would be something that's out of your control. And so helping a parent understand like that there are, there are 
there are definitely things that you can control, but then there are also limits because these are their own people. The kids are their own person. They have their own personalities and they have their own thoughts and <laughs> their own set of feelings and you know, love. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. A um, four-year-old got this from his counselor. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to get him to eat something. He said, I am the boss of my body, and I know that my body is not hungry right now. <laughs> That's a great example. I know. I use that language a lot, too. I'm like, you're the boss of your mouth, and, you know, you're the boss of your hands. And, I mean, because, but that is, it's like, yeah, even a little four-year-old's getting it. Like, I know it, you know. And so for parents, okay. And so for parents, they got, man, that goes fast. Okay. Um, so for parents to, like, get that and, and maybe re, just reconfigure how you see that and then put the energy into the place where it maybe would be most helpful instead of the part that's going to escalate it. That's a challenge for a lot of times. For, you know, you're not going to wear this or you're going to, it's, it's crazy sometimes where people, you know, will draw the line and be like, no, it's going to be this way. And a lot of that comes from how we were raised and, you know, um, how we think and how we want to be as parents. But then sometimes it's a little misguided about um, what you can control and what you can't as a, as a parent. Yeah. So, okay, so I'm, uh, just a few more minutes left. What other, I hope this has been like somewhat interesting or helpful. Yes. <laughs> you So much, yes. Yeah, I, I went to um, a seminar and there was a guy, he talked about being a critical consumer, and this is what I teach all, almost every single one of my, my kiddos, I teach them about this, is that when you go into a restaurant, you go into it, you're a critical consumer, okay? Not critical as in like, that's gross, that stinks, that's ugly, not that, but like where you're assessing your experience. Did you have to wait a long time? Were people nice? Was there food in your drink? You know, like would you, if you ordered a cheeseburger, did you get snails? Was there, you know, mold on your bread? Those kinds of things. And most of us, if we ordered a cheeseburger and it came out all moldy, we would not eat it. We would not consume it. We would not put it into our system. We would send it back and say, no, that's tainted. That's gross. I don't want that. And depending on our experience, we would maybe never ever go back to that restaurant again. That's being a critical consumer. We do it really well in things like restaurants, hotels, movies, you know, experience in like public service stuff. What we don't do a good job is the feedback that we get from the people around us. And so teaching kiddos how to do that and to have a standard. Like for me, you gotta know me. You know, you gotta know who I am before you can tell me anything about me that I need to take into myself. You gotta care about me. You gotta be honest with yourself. You gotta be able to say, my bad, I did something wrong. You know, you gotta be honest. So that's another one of my criteria. Um, and you have to be kind. And so if you meet those criteria for me and then you tell me something like that, I maybe need to go change my clothes because <laughs> I look, you know, I don't match or, you know, or that I'm being stupid about something or that I was acting inappropriately in some way, I probably need to listen to you, you know. That's what we have to teach our kids to do is how to be a critical consumer. When Nike is saying, here is this, you need to do this. Now, is Nike, do they know you? Do they care about you? Do they love you? Are they being honest? What is the motive? The guy that's being the jerk down the hall at lunch, you know, what is his motive? Is he trying to give you truth about yourself? You know, is he trying to build you up and make you a better person? Does he care about you? Or is he trying to build himself up and make himself feel better? And so therefore he's throwing you in the best. And helping kids to, to analyze that stuff and be a critical consumer is a big, 
major, major, major piece. Um, and, and it's with all of it, it's all the commercials, it's the social media, it's the feedback. If you put something on Twitter and you get somebody that has a snarky comment, you don't have, you can consider it rotten, like it's moldy, and you don't have to eat it. Um, is the way I talk a lot, you know, with kids about that's a, that's a good question. So, we good time? Okay, all right. Any other questions? I'll piggyback on that a little bit of something elaborate that sometimes the th things that we do, like teaching to be critical consumers and so forth, that, that may not have an immediate effect. And I know that some of the things that you do and other therapists do, if parents are expecting an immediate effect, that's not always the case. It shows up in their life a little bit later. Later, yeah. And so you have to remember that. And uh, I'm sure you've seen it because you're running clients later on, and yeah. they're doing a lot better yeah. in part because of the interactions with you in a safe environment. Yeah. Um, you sow seeds, I think, a lot of times, and it just takes a while sometimes for them to actually grow and for you to actually see the fruits of it. But you, I think that is a lot of times what I do is I sow seeds um, that may, it may be a while before it finally comes up. How do you discern if a parent has a concern about a child and the child doesn't? Uh, acknowledge the concern, uh, but the parent has a concern like the child really needs help. How do you discern it's the parents who need the assistance in rearranging the home experience versus getting the child in for the therapist to get the child straightened out and get them back on the right track? Um, usually, <laughs> Usually it's a mix of everybody's got to kind of be doing some stuff a little bit different because kids, they're just, they're, they're not isolated little people. I mean, they are um, a lot of our stuff comes out on them, you know, um, it just does. And so usually that there is some work that the parents can do um, to maybe just make things a little bit better, just to clean up some stuff. And with the kiddos, um, a lot of times I'll get them into a session and see if they'll, they're, they're a willing participant. And a lot of times they end up loving it because they have, they have undivided attention. They have somebody that's listening to every single thing they say. Everything's okay that they say. There's nothing that's wrong. I'm not going to tell them. If they say it's a green car and it's red, I'm going to be like, oh, it's a green car. I don't care. I'm not going to, you know, and if they say I feel mad about this, I'm like, yeah, I bet you do. And that's really powerful for people to have that kind of um, a response. So most of the time kiddos get real quickly, they buy in real quick. It's like, I want to go back. Um, but if, if, if I still had that kind of resistance, then it would be working with the parents. Okay, how do we work on the part you can control? Again, the part of what the parent can control. You can control what comes out of your mouth. You can control how you respond to their behavior. You can control, you know, how you set up things in the environment for them. And, and so work a lot on that stuff. Does that help with that? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I don't have children or, or uh, at home, so yeah. it's really for me. <laughs> it's, it's been a while in there. Yeah. All right. So we okay. good? Questions? One, I got time for maybe one more. One more. Question? Man, they wear me out. I know those kind of kids. It's like, oh, please. Um, you you work with what you got is really. I mean, it's and helping the parent that is willing to do the work, helping them just to come to some acceptance and work through how they feel about the parent that won't. That's hard. It's just like, man, we 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 set off together. We were on the same team, and now we're not on the same team. That's really really tough. Um, and so it's it's helping the parent that is willing to do the work to really just. Do your work, know that you're doing a good job, know it will pay off, and just deal with how you feel about the other parent that's maybe kind of sabotaging or not doing. It's just hard. That's a hard. 
and I, I've, I find myself a lot of times with those parents is helping them know that it's hard and it's okay that you're mad and it's okay that you're sad and it's okay that it's so frustrating and you're normal to feel that um, because that's really tough um, when it's your I'll kid. I'll say that's a whole lot easier when you're split up. When two parents are together who are totally not on the same page and you're in the same house and you're like you're like fighting, fighting all the time. each other. Yeah, that's and, hard too. Like, about what's going on yeah. with the kid and the kids there watching it all. Like it's brutal. Doesn't work. Yeah, it can you be. Frequently get a polarization where the two parents they started out this far apart on say parenting issues, and then because one tries to compensate for the other, they become even more extreme. It's like a political discussion, you know, on TV or something, where the two parties become even more extreme. That's what happens a lot. And gifted people like Jennifer are in the middle of those battle zones often, and it wears them out. I mean, we've been through some cases. <laughs> we've had mutual contact. Mm -hmm. it just, it's you, hard. You know, That's hard stuff. It will wear you out. Mm -hmm. um, so, but Jennifer has not just a talent and a huge amount of knowledge, but she really has a gift for it. And not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. You can, I don't have it, not by a long stretch, but she does. Uh, and it's a, it's a special thing to be able to have a child come in and start trusting you, and you can work with them and, and get them to a place where some things can be healthier for them. And remember, I don't know if this was said specifically, you start working with the child and about three sessions in, it's like, the, the, the parent's the one that really wants and needs more assistance, but this was their way to put their foot in the water because it's okay to get help for your kid. It's not okay to get help for yourself. But then that opens the door and then you can bring them into the conversation sometimes. Mm -hmm. so, so thanks for coming. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Next week, I'm trying to who's coming next week? We've got a schedule up here. Schedule right here. I should know. That would be uh, Adam Graham. Adam, Adam Graham is coming. Oh, he's good. Um, he's going to talk about 